Welcome to Get Over It, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. We've got a very good friend of the uh, show back, Danielle Dolsky, is back, and she's going to talk about her latest book, The Holy Wild Ridmore, a heathen handbook of magic, spells, and verses. And folks, if you're into witchcraft, this is the book to get because it's not full of just spells. It allows you, as you're reading through it, to go even deeper so that your work becomes more effective. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Uh, The information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break through the blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that is holding you back. But you guys know I always ask that question. Are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me from my new listeners, Intuitive Since Birth. I'm a third generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I am the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients say that I keep it real while providing accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, nesmoniquechapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on LinkedIn. And folks, if you like the podcast, either subscribe or give me some stars or both. We would love to hear from you. My guest today, Danielle Dolsky, is the author of The Holy Wild, Sacred Hag Circle, Seasons of the Moon and Flame, Woman Most Wild, and the most recently, Holy Wild Ridmore, a heathen visionary, painter, poet, storyteller, and word witch. She teaches internationally and has facilitated circles, embodiment trainings, communal spell work, and uh, seasonal rituals since 2007. She is the founder of the Hack School and believes in the emerging power of wild collectives and sudden circles of curious dreamers, cunning witches, and rebellious artists in healing our ailing world. And you can check her out online at her website, and that's daniellelsky.com, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-D-U-L-S-K-Y.com. Welcome back, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me again, Monique. Very happy to be here. Oh, I am so happy to um, have you here. Now, the book, you know, um, this, I told you right before we started the show, this is a great book, folks. I mean, this is a keeper on your shelf if you're into witchcraft. However, this is not a book that you just sit and read through and say, oh, I like that spell and this spell and that spell and I'll work them. This is a book that allows your energy to go deep within yourself. And as you are answering the questions, because there's many in the book, and if you want to do a spell or two, it's going to bring more power to it, in my opinion. So, Danielle, was that part of the intent for this book? 
Yeah, that's exactly it. You named it. I believe that when we work with our own art, whether that's writing or something else, and we invite that to participate in our spell work, that the intention becomes amplified, the spell container becomes amplified, and then because of course we want our spells to come to fruition, it ends up being uh-huh. <laughs> more effective that way. So yeah, that's exactly what my intention was for the book. Okay. And why the name the Holy Wild Gridmore? Is it just because the spells are there or what? Well, so that's an interesting kind of evolution. The book was originally intended to be a kind of handbook or companion journal for the Holy Wild Heathen Bible that I wrote in 2018. And when I started writing it, so it was originally the Holy Wild Handbook, and I started writing it and I knew immediately because our world is so different now, has gone through so many initiations and underworld journeys and me too, personally, (laughs) as the author (laughs) since 2018, that it was clear that it couldn't just be, you know, a companion journal or a handbook. So it sort of evolved to be more about inviting the reader to write their own Um, grimoire, which is Uh kind of a book of verses, incantations, spells, and not just certain correspondences or how we would normally think of a more occult grimoire. Uh And it kind of took off from there. So then I invited the stories to come in and it became sort of its own, um, its own entity. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, it's definitely become its own entity. And I'm so glad that it is birthed into the world. However, you start the book on a very interesting note. You started with um, letters, um, what love letters on a deathbed. And what I took from that before, I just skimmed it um, initially when I was reviewing the book. But what I got from that was renewal. Um, So talk Mm. to us about why you would start a book on the deathbed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, I guess because when I was starting this book, I felt like I was on a deathbed of sorts. Um, Not so much because, uh, you know, I was in a a personal underworld, but because I was really feeling and still am feeling a lot of the, um, you know, big, big themes, the the myths that I was sold as a child that I thought were going to come to fruition, like the world's just going to keep getting better, work hard and all your dreams come true. <laughs> sorts of things. And at age 42 now, you know, of course, I realized that a lot of those things are not true. So it was uh-huh. thinking about, you know, leaving love letters on the deathbed, grieving well for what maybe many of us believed the world was going to become um, and are now seeing, you know, certain themes come up like climate collapse, for example, that's Uh sort of different than what we were told as a child. So how do we grieve well for the old orphan dreams in order to honor them and acknowledge them? And then also, yes, uh, move on to the rebirth, which is, of course, the final stage of initiation, which can't be rushed. But I think that <laughs> it almost ensures that we won't get there if we don't grieve well for what we feel we've lost. So that was why I began there with love letters on a deathbed. Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting. So many people are afraid to grieve at this point, even with everything going on in earth and they're feeling the loss of, you know, I wanted to go back to the way it was and all of that. Mm. And to me, that's a death. Um, yeah, because we're, we're not going back there. But why are they so afraid of a rebirth of setting um, 
their intention, their tone, looking forward in their life to where they want to go? Why are people so stuck and afraid to examine themselves? Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was uh, last night we watched the Sinead O'Connor documentary and it was really good. But a lot of it's focused on, you know, the 1990s and in Ireland specifically. But it's like showing these different things. And I was like, that was in the 90s. You know, it's these mm-hmm. uh, horrible, um, you know, legislation and and mm-hmm. collective opinions about women and what we're allowed to do and that sort of thing. And it's like, that was not that long ago. And also, you know, that's sort of when a lot of people of my generation, they look at the nineties as being like, you know, oh, that's when things were good. That is not (laughs) when things were good. (laughs) (laughs) Things were not good. And so, yeah, why do people not reflect? um, I mean, I think that we live in a very death and grief resistant culture, of course. And there's a reason why, you know, we, we kind of lock our elders away when they're getting closer to death instead of revering them like we might in, if we'd lived in another culture. So all of that, I think, so- socially supports this resistance to grief and not wanting to look back and reflect and all of that. But I do think there's a there's more and more people that are kind of waking up to understanding that, mm-hmm. you know, we are we're here now. And I always point my people toward considering like why, which, why now, why here? You know, if you're choosing uh-huh. to be a magically minded person or a mystic or however you identify and you signed up to be here for this, like that's a big yes. deal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you, it's important to find out why, what you're supposed to contribute. And it doesn't have to be anything big. I talk to people every day and they're like, the world is going down the crapper and we need to do this and do this and do this. I said, well, you just, what is the one thing you could do to make the world better? And they get stuck on that. And I said, if one person does something to raise, you know, Earth's collective vibration, we would be in a better place than we are now. Um, And speaking of Earth and her vibrations, in your book, you talk about the five elements, Earth, wind, air, fire, and ether. How does that relate to us waking up? And how does that help someone who is a witch? Or one of the yeah, which curious or which adjacent, sure. Uh-huh. Um, all are welcome. <laughs> okay. It's it's uh the elements is one of my favorite lenses to look through when I'm teaching, whether that's in person or I'm you know laying something out in a book, because I think that the elements are pretty accessible and you know, people might lament, for example, not being able to claim that they're a hereditary witch or something like that, that they don't have anything to really clearly mm, root their craft in. And so mm-hmm. what I usually point them toward doing is, you know, look to the elements, look to nature where if you're here, you're human <laughs> and uh-huh. you're of the earth. So that is something that you can root your craft in is just those five elements. So I do like that lens because it can organize certain um, life areas and aspects of witchcraft that Otherwise, they can just end up feeling pretty muddled. And so when we work with the elements in that way, and sometimes even in that order, earth, water, fire, air, and ether, we're sort of laying the foundation and then we're inviting the creativity or the art in, and then we invite the activism or even the righteous rage in, and then we find a home in relationship and 
um, uh, communal circle work with the air element. And then finally, maybe even lastly, we're finding home in the ether, the other world, being able to look at our witchcraft as a portal to the ancestral field or, or mm -hmm. fairies or, you know, whatever we might say is the wild unseen. And yet we know it's there. So that's why I work with these elements, because it's not so much a tradition that might exclude certain people. It's a, you know, we're all here. We all understand what earth, water, fire, air, and <laughs> well, maybe ether's a little bit more strange, but we all mm -hmm. understand what those elements are. And so that's why I, I work with those. But yeah, in this time of, you know, um, climate collapse and, and people turning more toward, you know, how can I contribute and how can I help? We can come back to nature as touchstone and ground. And actually, even though I'm saying come back to nature, realize that we were never, ever divorced from nature in the first mm -hmm. place. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. We were always still here. We just kind of mm -hmm. sold this different uh, idea of, of our separation from human and nature. So anyway, okay. I could go so on, but I <laughs> oh, I, I'm gonna <laughs> for days, but that's okay. Um, I'm gonna ask a question that's not addressed in your book, but I want your personal opinion on it. So, do you mm -hmm. feel that we are definitely living within the matrix since we're discovering so much of what we thought was true isn't true? Mm, wow, that's a heavy question. Are we definitely living in the matrix? I mean. My understanding of it for me is that we are moving more toward honoring what I might call the dream world. So thinking about how, you know, I remember my dreams pretty readily and I can really clearly see how some of my dreams are very obviously uh, prophetic. And, you know, if I were to tell another person and they would believe me, they would I think be on my side and understand mm -hmm. that my dreams are prophetic. So I feel like we're moving toward a place in the human experience where dreams become amplified and more real and linear time because of that kind of starts to fall apart. And so are we in the matrix? I feel like we're sort of seeing just one side. So I don't know that, you know, there's that this world's not real or that our per perception's not real, but I think it's just so narrow. And so, mm -hmm. and I can get very excited about this because I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that we are moving toward just having this expanded vision where, mm -hmm. you know, the linear time is so narrow and what we see and how we experience the world is so narrow compared to how we could be living and breathing and, you know, in communion with the other world, capital O. And so, um, yeah, so I, and I, I really hope that I get to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel I think I won't, you'll get to see it. No, I hope I get to see see some pieces of it at least, mm -hmm. and just you know get proof that I'm correct. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's unfolding every day. Bed. Yeah, I think it's I think it's unfolding bit by bit every day. It's really interesting to watch the world these days. You know, you you yeah. reference something that I've been working with, and I had really just put it off for a while. And that's ancestral energy. I don't know why. I, it wasn't a fear to delve into that, but it was just almost as if, oh, that doesn't matter. And then one day I woke up and said, yeah, well, all of that made you. So tell right. us about um, why it's important to 
know and learn about ancestral stories, why it's important to know who we truly are. Yeah, um, it's sort of like the big uh, debate that I have in my witchcraft circles, you know, how important is ancestry in, you know, as I said, you know, it's important to root your witchcraft in something. And so mm-hmm. for me, because my whole mother line is Irish, and also because that's like the one lineage that's pretty certain, my father line is pretty mysterious. <laughs> and so I don't know <laughs> okay. a lot about my father's line, but my mother's uh-huh. line, for sure, you know, they they are all Irish and all of my great grandparents on that side are, are from Ireland. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that felt like a real touchstone for me. Like, you know, the rest of my life is kind of confusing, but I, I know for <laughs> sure that that this is true and Uh then I came to a knowing like as a storyteller when I would learn and share Irish stories it just felt like there was a familiarity familiarity to them that I didn't Uh necessarily have when I would share other stories and that's not to say that I don't share other stories Uh, I think that you know, every, every story, especially an old story has something in it for everybody. I think that there's an image in every single story that no matter what your ancestry is, you can hear it and and be like, oh yeah. Okay. Now I understand that's the Oracle I was looking for from this story. Um, so learning your own ancestral stories, you know, it's important. I think, like you said, we're sort of the living ancestral altars, you know, like mm-hmm. we're, we're the breathing ancestral altars for all of our beloved dead. And so, of course, we don't want to completely exclude them from the conversation. And I think that for a lot of people, you know, the, the more recently dead or the wounded dead, they kind of have these gnarly stories. And, you know, we don't necessarily want to invite them to participate in our witchcraft. With us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but if we go back farther than that, you know, the same lineage, mm-hmm. the same lines, we can always uncover you know, this deep kind of earth-based medicine. And so for me, that was very healing. Um, And so, yeah, so, you know, holding the tension of what might be mysterious in the lineages and yet still looking and exploring and seeing what you can find. I think that that is an important practice these days. Well, you know what I found interesting? I, I signed up for that Ancestry. Actually, my one of my kids gave me a gift, the Ancestry.com. And I started mm-hmm building things in, not thinking, you know, a black woman way back then, they're not going to find much. And there's limited mm-hmm. information. But what I did do was I would sit and meditate upon an ancestor, a name, okay, mm-hmm. and ask them to share information with me. And it's amazing, the information that you can get, even from what was life, what life was like back in the 17 to 1800s to solving mm-hmm. today's problems. So I think that ancestors are extremely important for us to keep a relationship with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I love that practice. I might share that with some of my people. Yeah, focusing on the name as an anchor and then inviting Mm -hmm. them to share. That's beautiful. Yeah, it was, it it just like opened a whole new world for me. Um, Mm -hmm. What can we do? What can little witches do in this time of crisis? Yeah. Well, (laughs) I think that the maybe overly simplistic answer is to look at what your uh, art or your particular art, your unique art or purpose is and just keep, keep at it. Like, you know, we hear the word purpose and we, I think it gets really diluted in the new age community, but the etymology of purpose is the thing to be kept in view. And so 
you know, if we can just hold on to what feels like a calling. And like you said, even if that feels like a really small thing, you know, we don't have to necessarily feel a calling to march in the streets every day. Your calling could be, you know, you're a painter or a chef or something. And then, you know, if, if you keep that in view and then keep asking yourself to, associate that with your ecological position. Like, you know, here's my purpose. Why this? Why now? Why here? Almost like a daily practice of asking those questions and holding the tension of those questions as unanswerable. If you can keep Mm -hmm. doing that, I think that it is always orienting you toward, you know, the the sort of best version of yourself, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it doesn't have to be any high fire necessarily, you know, activism right now, because there's a lot of mystery right now and there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think that being able to hold the tension of questions that we don't know the answer to is Uh an important skill and not one that we learned in school. (laughs) (laughs) We'd have to like answer the question as soon as it was asked. Right. And so how do Uh we hold the tension of the questions that feel unanswerable and let them kind of be North stars and, and pull us forward the questions and not the answers. Okay. Now in your book, you use the word, word witchery or word witches. And even in your introduction, you, um, the words word, witch was there. So what is that? Yeah, a word which is something that I started kind of calling myself because I wanted to weave my two primary arts, which are witchcraft and writing into one. And then I began Mm -hmm. to notice about 10 years ago that when I did that, when I would invite my own writing into my spell containers. So let's say, for example, I would write my own incantations or I would write my own dedications to the four directions when I cast a circle or something like that, that the spell would seem more potent rather than if I was just reciting something that somebody else wrote um, or not inviting my art into the container at all. And so word, which is something that I started calling myself when I started inviting words more my words than other people's Uh words into the spell containers. And then I noticed like, okay, then there's other ways that I can do this. And so the Holy Wild Grimoire, the latest book, it's all about, you know, the reader being able to really look at their own words as oracles and Uh kind of, you know, be able to use their own writing as a form of divination. And so instead of reaching for the Oracle deck or the tarot deck or the pendulum or whatever it is, the other tools that I do use constantly. And I do still (laughs) very much revere those tools, but you can also use your own, your own writing, your own language. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to identify as a writer or, or, you know, have this, you know, expansive poetic vocabulary. You can do that with just like a simple answer to a question. You can see how, oh, I already knew that because I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so word witch is you know being able to weave words with the witchcraft or the magic okay um now when we go to your website daniellebolski.com what are we going to find there so daniellebolski.com is is my website where i have i have all the books listed i have some different um, courses that I'm leading right now listed. I lead a lot of uh, word witchery and writing programs for people. Um, so 
So yeah, there's, there's a few things going on there right now on the website. <laughs> okay. And folks, you can get an idea of what her other books are like. Um, they, in my opinion, it might not be hers, but in my opinion, they all tend to dovetail upon one another. Um, if you read the first and you read the second, you see a correlation all the way to the latest book um, that we're talking about today. Um, from a witch's perspective, how can ritual help the average person, the everyday person today? Because, I mean, we do have a ritual, you know, like if you go to bed and then you get up when the alarm mm -hmm. wakes off and, you you know, go to the bathroom. You, most people potty, brush, teeth, wash, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So how can ritual, even that type of ritual, how can that help us in today? Especially yeah. staying sane. Right. <laughs> I know. I remember, um, you know, during sort of the height of quarantine and my routines were just getting so bizarre. And, you know, I wasn't somebody that really left the house a whole lot anyway. I wasn't a huge, mm -hmm. like, you know, global traveler. And so it was such a strange thing to notice how, you know, just having this um, feeling of being locked down, like how that affected my routines and my sleep. Mm -hmm. And I was like waking up in the middle of the night. So anyway, um, I think that those, those rituals that you're naming, those more um, utilitarian rituals, those are important touchstones that can sort of shape your day and um, give you uh, maybe a um, uh, more, what's the word, I'm, a more like elastic uh, vision of time or sense of time. Um, you know, that when you wake up in the morning, you're going to do this. And then, you know, that at lunchtime, you're going to do this. And at night you'll do this. Like even having those three touchstones throughout your day can be really important. Um, but ritual to me, it more of a, less of a util utilitarian ritual and more of a, it doesn't have to be a spell, but mm -hmm. let's say, you know, you light a candle every morning in the name of your great, great grandmother or an ancestor or something like that. Or let's say you freely speak a story over your altar in the morning. Um, so something small like that, that doesn't deplete your resources, doesn't take much time, energy mm -hmm. or money, right? You're not having to run to the witch shop and invest uh, hundreds of dollars in anything. So is a really simple ritual that can sort of open this door to the other world. You, you feel like you're sort of really, um, your vitality is sparked in that moment that, you know, if the rest of your day is full of checking boxes on your to-do list, at least for that one moment, you felt really invigorated and alive and present. And so mm -hmm. those are the rituals that I really feel are important right now. Those rituals that make you feel if, if, if no other time of day for that five minutes, you feel really fiercely here. So, yeah. Mm, well, interesting, because if you do that and your day takes a turn that you hadn't anticipated, you still have the memory of going back to that ritual to raise your vibration again, right? Yeah, right. Oh, no. Exactly. I think it's, I think it's Michael Mead, who's a great storyteller who talks about how you want to be able to go to sleep at night and say, wow, I was really alive for that one part of the day that you want to be able mm -hmm. to do that. Even if the rest of your day was a nightmare, <laughs> you want to be mm -hmm. able to look at that one little window as like, okay, I, at least right then I was there. And so, you know, this day had meaning because of that. Yeah. And folks, if you can't find anything, the simple fact of 
opening your eyes and waking up could be your thing. Okay. So you can always mm-hmm. find something. Um, our time is almost up, Danielle. What is it that you want the audience to know about the book? What pearl of wisdom would you like to share? What pearl of wisdom would I like to share? Um, well, I hope that everybody, even if if they don't consider themselves a writer or a witch or storyteller or all of these other things that I could name, that everybody finds something in the book that feels like medicine, you know, even if it's just reading one of the stories that's in there and they find an image that feels like it kind of speaks to their soul or feels like it's somehow important or they're, you know, invited to write a poem and that poem ends up having a lot of meaning for them or digging out a memory that feels like an oracle or important in some way um, Mm -hmm. that they don't have to necessarily you know, love and wallow in every single aspect of the book because there's a lot of different layers to it. And so I hope that everybody finds something in it that feels like, you know, a seed of something more. Um, Yeah, that points them toward what they're meant to know right now. The strange chapter in the human story. (laughs) Yes, and especially in this day and age, there's a lot to, to take a look at. Well, Danielle, I really appreciate you being with us today. And to the audience, I appreciate you as we collectively get over it. I'm truly honored and I appreciate everyone's time and attention. And please remember, the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the magical choice of really digging down and getting to know yourself. About the blessings, light, and love of all. Agape. Agape.